Hi, everyone who's listening. Welcome to Parenting in Queens, a safe place where we like to connect with everyday families doing extraordinary things. Raising a child truly takes a village, and we want to build a community where we can all relate and connect with one another to make this journey even more memorable and enjoyable. I am your host, Cecilia Falcon, and I run a family daycare program for 10 years. Besides working with young children over the years, I have loved creating a bond with every family that has been with us thus far. So this podcast is dedicated to all you busy parents. I know you guys are doing all your best to raise your children. Before we listen to this episode, please head over on iTunes and give it a review. It will help get the show on the map and grow this community. Also, follow us on Instagram at Parenting in Queens. And if you'd like to be on our show, please send me a DM. Now, enjoy this interview. Thank you for listening. I'm a bit of a romantic, so I want to know, like, how did you guys meet? I, I think I know a little bit, but can mm-hmm. you just tell me more of the highlight of how you guys met? I know it was eighth grade. Yes, we met on okay. the very first day of eighth grade. I had just moved to Kentucky, and it was my 13th birthday on the first day of school in a new state and we sat next to each other in the very first class of the day. What class was that, you remember? It was an independent reading class. And so Emily was the new girl and what she didn't know was that we didn't really independently read. We would sit and talk to each other. So that was our first initial like point of contention because Emily wanted to read and I wanted to help her as the new girl understand that we didn't really read in that class. We just would talk. So so that's something that we always laugh about, but yeah, it was just an independent reading class. And then we were friends for a long time. We went to the same church. We were in band together. We started dating when we were juniors in high school. We went to junior prom together and senior prom together. We then decided to go to separate colleges And I wanted to continue dating, but Emily did not. She wanted to start fresh and new. So we were still friends our freshman year of college, but then we started dating again the summer when we came home after our freshman year in college. And then we dated again. And then that was Uh it. And then that was it. Wow. And did you date in that little gap? Like other people at all or no? We each went on a few dates, but just one time things. I went to college four hours north of our hometown and Tyler went to college four hours south of our hometown. So we were eight hours apart from each other, but we were together every summer. And then we got engaged the summer before our senior year and got married right after graduation. Graduation. Wow. That's so cool. And now you're still married. <laughs> yeah. How long yeah. have you been? We lived in Kentucky well, for three years before we moved to New York. And we've been in New York for eight years. Yeah. But then so this summer will be 11 years. But I I joke because like her sister-in-law or her sister I've known since she was like in fifth grade. So I've been around the family for Yeah. They know you love. Like, oh, we know that's what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> like you yeah. guys are meant to be together. Yeah. yeah. And how has, because I know, I got married young too, and I think like you grew up together in a way, so how how was that for you? Like, you know, discovering college, a new completely environment, and coming to a city, like your relationship takes an evolution as you grow as an adult as well. Yeah, so I feel like, and even now we're in the midst of this new sort of season of growing and changing, but I think that because we got married so young, 
there were a lot of life experiences that we had together for the first time. So like searching for our first jobs, the process of applying for grad schools and figuring out how we were going to pay for it, learning how to be completely financially independent of our parents. That was something that was really important, but it meant that like in our first years of marriage, Emily was a really great coupon clipper. And only because she would clip coupons did we have like food. Cause I was a, I was a brand new teacher in a public school and didn't make a lot of money while she was in grad school. So we just had to learn sort of how to cut corners and how to like work together in order to sort of enter that next little stage of life. We were also able to travel and do other fun things in our 20s. We were just doing it together. Together, right? Yeah. And I think that for us, you know, we waited seven years before we really thought about having kids. So we had that seven years to sort of get some life things in order and to okay. figure things out. But having kids has really thrown... Okay. Having kids throws everything off, not necessarily in a bad way, but we talk about a lot of new dynamics. Yeah. And we talk about how your heart is like reprogrammed and your head is reprogrammed in ways that you could never have anticipated beforehand. So now we really have to navigate those new sort of changes and challenges, you know, not just from having newborns, but even now as our girls are four and two, they're even more challenging now than they were you know, when they were really little. Okay, so what was your biggest struggle as a couple so far? So I think the biggest struggle was my decision to step down from my job as a school administrator. So I taught for seven years, and then I transitioned into a school administrator position. I did that for three years. It was a really hard three years. It was right when Mabel was born. So that was the first school year that I transitioned to becoming a dean. It was really challenging because I had to take on before school work. And then I also worked all during the school day and then had lots of hours of work at night that I had to complete. So I felt like that grind of the hours and my responsibilities at work were just completely draining. So like mentally and emotionally, I had very little to give to Emily or to Mabel. And then when Matilda came, I feel like that's when there was just an explosion that I just wasn't able to manage sort of the stress and anxiety from school and also home. And we reached a breaking point where it was last fall. I remember standing outside of my school talking to my supervisor and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm done. And she was like, are you quitting? And I was like, I don't know that I'm quitting, but I'm just like done. And I remember then calling Emily and I was like, I talked to my supervisor today. I almost quit. And she was like, what do you mean you almost quit? Why didn't you-, you guys didn't talk about it. She knew, but... I knew he was very stressed and overwhelmed. I didn't know he was going to go in and tell his supervisor okay. that he felt done with the job. So I ultimately didn't quit then. But New York State passed a paid family leave law, which went into effect in 2018. And fast forward a couple months, I found out I was eligible because Matilda was still under the age of one. So instead of quitting, I said, I'm going to take 
some time off from work. I ended up taking nine weeks off full time. And under the paid family leave law, employees are paid 66% of their salary. So I knew that it was going to be a pay cut. But while I was off, I would get some compensation. We would still be okay financially. But we decided to take that time to sort of evaluate everything and figure out what I was going to do. So after paid family leave and after, while on paid family leave, we tidied our apartment. We went through everything in our house. That's when we flipped bedrooms with the girls. I was a crazy person just in the house, sort of trying to get order from some, from whatever I could and try to control whatever I could. And as we got to the end of tidying, I remember saying to Emily, I hate my job. I do not want to do it anymore. It is not fun. It is not enjoyable. I have stress every time I think about going back to work on Mondays. And I remember Emily saying, then like, why don't you go back to teaching? Or like, you don't have to do that. We'll figure it out. And I remember just being able to name that for Emily and for Emily responding back with, okay, let's like talk about it. Let's figure it out. It was so freeing. And then we were able to piece together, okay, do we actually do this? Do I actually step down from my job? Do I go back to teaching? And how are we going to make this work for our family? This was a super stressful time, but it really was like three years into parenting that we just stopped and had to evaluate everything. And you knowing him for such a long time, did you already know like what he was going to say? I knew that the job job wasn't sustainable and I knew that he had loved teaching and he was such a good teacher, but he just felt like the career path for a male elementary school teacher was to teach for five to 10 years and then move on to administration, even though that wasn't where his heart was or where his passion and interest was. So I think it did feel like a natural move into the administration position, but you were never truly happy there. And so when we did eventually come back around to the conclusion for you to go back to teaching, it felt like a really natural shift. Because that's what was so hard was I remember when I was in that last year of teaching before I moved to the dean position that I sat down with my principal and he asked if I was interested in the job moving into the school administrative position. And I remember feeling this sense of like being proud that he had asked me in the first place, but then also feeling like, oh, this is just the natural thing that I should do. Like as a man and as a new father, I should always seek out opportunities that could lead to more money and more responsibility. Like that's what one does. And so I did it. But then I realized that I was in the thick of that work it was really, really stressful. There was something about managing adults while I was trying to like manage the household and like support the girls and support Emily that it was, there was so much on my mental load that I just couldn't sort of deal. Did you think that you, because not a lot of men would do something like that. They would basically, I'm not saying you weren't brave, but some men, I know because I have a lot of friends that, end up taking those jobs that are higher pay and they're out at five in the morning because they have to catch the train and then they don't come back home until nine 
and then it's all over again Monday through Friday. So basically, you're solo parenting, right? And they just do it for years and years. They never have that conversation like, okay, are we happy? How are you doing? What is the family dynamic? Do you feel like that was that something like, I don't know, like you as a dad, like that's how you want it to be? Or maybe your dad was more involved? Do you yeah. think it was like something from your childhood? Yeah, it was definitely from my childhood because my dad was always an involved dad and he was a teacher. He was also an elementary school principal. But we always knew as kids that we were more important than his work. And I remember as a kid, we were going to church one Sunday and we were driving past one of the elementary schools in my town and we saw a car parked out front. And I said, Dad, somebody's working at school. Why don't you work at school on the weekends? And I remember him saying, because I've chosen you guys that there's always more work that I could do. There's always more work to be done, but the weekends are my time with you all. And so I always respected the way that he balanced work. As a principal, yes, I did see him working some, like at nights on the weekends, but he he always made it us his number one priority. And so seeing that model from him I knew the type of father that I wanted to be. And frankly, every time I had to stay late or at work or would step in and see Mabel almost to bed, I would think, oh my goodness, I have missed every hour that she was awake today. And when you start to compound that over months and years, you miss out on these total aspects of your children, like growing up and their sort of day-to-day life. And I reached the point where, yes, I need to provide well for my family and do the best that I can in terms of insurance and salary, but I don't need to be on this race to constantly acquire more positional power or a higher salary. Because what we talked about so often was what do you then use that money Four. Like we're, we're doing just fine. We have just enough. We live well. We live below our means. We don't live an extravagant life. We're incredibly frugal, but yet we did it intentionally because we wanted both of us to be able to parent together and to have time together with the girls. So I feel like that was a commitment we made. And maybe you could share too, but I feel like because we both worked in schools, every end of the school year, there's this natural time to talk as a couple because there's a there's an end point. Because whenever we get to the summer, it's like we have finished that year's worth of work. So it's a natural time for us to stop and evaluate and say, like, what worked this school year? What didn't work this school okay. year? Emily's a contract occupational therapist, which means that she can name her hours. So So we'll always sit down and say, like, how many hours do you want to work next week or next year? Next year. Like uh-huh. what do we financially need to have? And so we've been able every end of the school year to sort of have that talk with each other, just to check in and say like, did this work schedule work for us or did it not? And if it didn't, can we change it somehow? And with the kids, there's natural changes too. Like this year I was able to work after school, but next year Mabel will be in pre-K. And so I don't want 
her to be in school all day and then me go work the after school right. hours. So there will be a natural shift next school year too. And did you choose that a particular profession thinking that maybe one day you'll be a mom and then you'll need to have like a regular, you know, like a flexible schedule or was it like something just your passion that you figure out later? It's something I, I kind of knew. I didn't know the extent of it, but I do love that now because I'm able to work with kids in the schools, but it's different from a teacher where you either work that school year or you don't right. and it's full-time or not. I can do it per session and choose how many to commit to for that school year. That's very good. Um, do you, when you are doing your occupational therapy in New York, have you seeing like a growing amount of kids that need more services? Yes, there's a lot of kids who need services. And yeah, the city's always looking for more, more therapists more and therapists. contacting about new students getting evaluated and needing services mid-school year. And there's always opportunities to add to the caseload. Okay, so have it sometimes since they have like so much, they might have it tried to like convince you to work more hours. And what do you say? Because I, I mean, it is pretty hard when someone that it's, you know, higher authority or they're asking you for a favor. You, you don't want to be mean. Right. You don't and do you what they want. the parents who mm -hmm. want services for their kids and aren't able to find a provider, especially yeah. mid-year, it's hard to find someone. And so it's easy to, to want to say yes, but we have to think about our family first and what hours work for us. That's really nice. And how was your, because he mentioned his dad, like growing up, was there anything that's you know, stood up in your childhood that you said, oh, this is the kind of mom I want to be because my mom did this or did not do this. You know, sometimes we take that. Yeah, my mom approach. did stay at home with us. She worked part-time jobs all throughout, but was mostly at home. And so I really liked that flexibility, especially while the girls are little and not in school full-time yet. And that's something else with my job, that when the girls are in school, I could work at a school and have the same schedule as them. Okay. But I will Sorry, say yeah. that one thing that your mom really encouraged you to do was to get a master's degree early on after finishing college, because that was something that she had always wanted to get her master's degree, but she didn't do it right away. And so she really encouraged Emily to go ahead and get that master's degree, because once you have kids, it can be much can harder. Be much and, you know, when Emily, and you can speak to this too, but when you were looking at jobs and knowing that you wanted to work with kids, you did intentionally choose something that you knew there would be flexibility for, that you would be able to sort of like pick and choose, you know, hours or, you know, have a master's degree that would be really like marketable in different areas of the country, which occupational therapy Right. Is. My undergrad degree is in psychology. But when I graduated, Tyler was able to immediately get a teaching job and I started full-time grad school. So I worked on my master's for three years while he taught. And then once I finished, that's when we moved to New York so that Tyler could get his master's degree. We moved here for him to go to Columbia, but then fell in love with the city and ended up staying. So it was what, oh, nine years? You yeah. Mentioned? Yeah. And you guys not planning to move back or anywhere else? No, we're, we're happy here. And my sister and brother-in-law and their new They're baby here. live yeah. here. So today... The baby was born, yes, and you don't know the night. gender yet. We don't know the gender or the name. <laughs> She's so bad. Yeah. Well, it started because that's what we did. So uh -huh. with both of our girls, we did not reveal the gender or the name beforehand, which we didn't know the gender until the baby was born. But we wanted everyone to find out when they came to the hospital to meet the baby. 
So it was a really fun moment for us because we got to see everyone's reaction. But now that we're on the waiting <laughs> end, it's actually somewhat cruel. It is. Yeah, but when you're the parent in that position, you have power. You have power. <laughs> and selfishly, we wanted to see everyone's sort of reaction. But now we、mm-hmm. wait. So now that you have a little bit more of like flexible schedule, he stepped down from his job. And how did that idea come out from like Tidy Dad? Because I know it's like another thing. Okay, you、yeah. supposedly, you know, came down from that job because it was、yeah. so demanding. But then, you know, he tells you, I don't know, like, how did it come up? Like, oh, now you <laughs>、yeah. want a project? So, so we spent about a year tidying our apartment.、Mm-hmm. And so when we say tidying, we used Marie Kondo's method, which was starting with clothing. And then working through books, paper, kimono, which is like all of the miscellaneous categories, and then sentimental items. And it was because when I was off, I spent more time home at home. And I began to get a sense that like things weren't running as efficiently as they could. And it wasn't that it was something against Emily. We just hadn't spent the time thinking about the fact that we now have two little girls in this space. We now have four people living in this space, and there are different demands placed on us. And at the time, Matilda was nine months old, and a nine month old baby is very different from a newborn baby that she was starting to crawl and get into everything. And it became clear that we were going to need to figure out how to make our space work. So we spent a good year tidying our space. And then in January, Marie Kondo's Netflix show premiered, and we started to read all of this press about. Her method, but then we saw that there was quite a bit of criticism, essentially, especially from the parent community, because it just didn't seem like a process that was actually practical for parents. And people were really interested in doing it, but they were like, "How do you make this work for your kids?" So one day on the playground, we were talking with our friends, and our friends said. You know, we'd really love to transform one of our closets into a little play space for our girls because they thought it would be really cool for us to like put a little curtain up and they could have like a play area that would just be like fun for them to go into. And Emily and I said, "Well, what's getting in the way of that?" And they were like, "Well, we have all this stuff in there, but we don't know what to do with it." And we were like, "Oh, we could help!" So we went over there and we helped them transform in a couple hours their little closet. And our friend Vanessa said, "You guys should post about this stuff on Instagram. You guys have so many like tips, and you love doing these projects. Like, you should just share them." So we did, and that's how. Tidy Dad was sort of birthed. We started out with this little page called More Living because our last name is More. So I thought, oh, that's a pretty good play on on the on, last name on yeah, the last name. Space, um, but then I kept using the hashtag Tidy Dad, and I liked to film myself like cleaning and cooking and tidying. And then I kept taking pictures, and I thought Tidy Dad seems much catchier than More Living. So we switched it to Tidy Dad, and that's when this like Tidy Dad persona was birthed. <laughs> But Tidy Dad is definitely the both of us because we're、It、doing、is. a lot、right. of these things together. But Emily doesn't like the spotlight that much. Right, I prefer do- doing it behind the scenes.、Right. Um, He tells you more okay, than like、yeah. the managing and editing and yeah. So she's your manager. 
Yeah, yeah. But one of the things, we figured out what we, what we both like about sort of building out this brand. And we both have loved writing. That's something that's been in our both of our backgrounds since we were kids. So which is why we really wanted to start the website because we want to get more of our writing out and more of our journey and story out to the public. So yeah, we've really figured out how do we balance this together and start this new little venture. But honestly, we wouldn't, none of this would have happened had I not stepped down from my job. That we would never have had the creative time or space to even think about this stuff. And that's what we've been looking at it as is like a creative hobby passion project that we can right. do together and something that we're home talking through these ideas and working on the computer together rather than one of us working late hours and not being here. It's something that we can do on our own time at home. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it doesn't feel like a job a that's job, taking right. time away from the family. And it, I think it also brings you together because previously we were talking about like how like this internet explosion has brought like so many things we have no idea about. So like it's it's a good thing that when as a couple like there's a fun project going on like that you learn together mm-hmm. and like there's more of a discussion. Yeah, I mean there have been so many times where like I'll be at work and Emily will text me or call me and say, "Oh, I just listened to such and such podcast about Instagram and I learned how to do this 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 and this. We should try that." And vice versa, I would do the same where it's like oh, I watched this webinar today. So, I mean, we're complete technological novices. I mean, like, know nothing. I mean, I can speak for myself. I know nothing. I don't know what you would say about what you know. We know something. We know some things a little bit now. But we're learning. We've been learning as we go. And that's what's been hard about it initially is that the learning curve has been so steep. Mm -hmm. And we're like... We're not that old. We should be able to figure some of this stuff out. But I will tell you, the kids in my class, they have been some of the best teachers because they love to put together vlogs, for example. And I was like, what is a vlog? And they're like, it's like a video blog, Mr. Moore. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, how do you do that? What apps do you use? So they tell me the apps that they use. And I'm like, oh, this makes it so much easier. So they teach me things all the time that I'm then able to use. And you don't have to pay them. Right? And I don't have to pay them. No. <laughs> like, oh, great. Just teach them. No. <laughs> a little bonus. No. no. But it has been. I mean, I do think that it's something that has also struck up many conversations about balance and how much time we want to give to it. And, you know, what do we do with other sort of life routines in order to make it happen? Because the reality is, is that we don't have a lot of time. I mean, we were talking earlier that really at the end of the night, sometimes you have an hour and that hour, you can't just devote to creative projects because there's cooking, there's cleaning, there's paying the bills. You know, there's all those other life things that you have to do. So it's like, how do you balance being creative plus logistically doing all the other stuff to like parent and be an adult? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a lifelong Mm-hmm. process because then the girls are going to be older you may have a little bit more time and then we'll be able to dedicate more time i do also follow like other people that do this and i think one of the girls that i follow said it doesn't like don't compare yourself to other people that are doing a full-time because a lot of people do have yes. this careers full-time as long as they like you chip away 
at it like little by little and then once you know you get yeah. there you get there because she has a i think a newborn now and then a three-year-old she's like it's been so hard yeah. but i just like decide i'm just gonna try a little bit at a time yeah and that's what we've had to do because sometimes i get i get ahead of myself and i'm like all right so i'm thinking in the next like week we should have our instagram i think we should start our youtube channel plus we should totally do a podcast. Like we should just because do. Because you get so excited. Like yes, you learn all these yes, things like, that people Like we are should doing. just do all three. And it's like, no, we can't do all three. <laughs> but we've been able to talk through that. And it's not that sometimes Emily is creatively like trying to stop me, but it's more so being realistic and saying, you step down from your job for a reason. Why did you step down from your job? More time with the girls, more time together. Like let I want to support you, but how do we make this work? Because the major hypocritical thing will be if tidy dad himself does not have a tidy life. Exactly. You know, and if I can't balance it all, then what's it all worth? Right. I mean, I have been following you for a couple of months now. And Instagram has this, I don't know what it's like, just like cliche persona i don't know that everyone there is perfect right so you always highlight like the best thing so if someone that like doesn't really know you you know just just know you through instagram like i know i do like i feel like you have everything perfectly figured out like you wake up at five in the morning (laughs) you're playing with the girls you're making breakfast everything's like so tidy the girls are so well behaved you go to work you guys are always talking like there's not barely an argument you're always like super good and then you come home and then you have this side business that's going so well so it just feels like it's like you're this perfect dad, you know? <laughs> and it's funny because hearing you say that we don't live a perfect life. and th- mm-hmm. But that is one thing and, that and I have we not figured out how to do on Instagram. Because the feed should, like why people go on Instagram is because they want to look at beautiful pictures. Yes. And so I'm like, okay, do I put messy stuff on the feed? <laughs> Or I'm like, do I do that in stories? Because the reality is, is that things aren't messy, but or that things aren't always tidy. But I think that what we've been really careful of or been trying to do is that we feel like parenting is a gift, not this like prison sentence. And there are ways to share things from a perspective that is very negative because the reality is we are tired 98% 98% of the time. We deal with messes like 100% of the time. Like today it was a classic example. We were talking and Mabel wanted to get her Play-Doh down from inside the pantry. She pulled it down and completely dumped all of the bins out of all of her Play-Doh supplies all in the pantry. She came out like spilled on, slipped on the box of crayons that was on the floor, dumped it all. Meanwhile, she's like wanting a waffle with Nutella spread all over the top. Like that is a completely, that is a completely messy moment. And everything we do has these toss ups where like, if it's a morning where Tyler spends time cooking a beautiful meal for the girls before school, then he leaves and there's dirty dishes all over the kitchen and no one's dressed for school. And it's like, 
that's not in the picture. It's just exactly. the table of breakfast, but there. Yeah. And so it's how do we balance it, but how do we somehow project a message that we love being parents and that we are fully embracing all that comes with parenting the girls at such a little age. And one of the things that I've been trying to explore that I haven't quite figured out how to do is talk about my own mental health. Because for example, I go to therapy every Monday night. I was in a really dark place a year ago. And Emily and I, we were like, what do we do? We actually went to, we started going to couples therapy together because we were like, we are, we are completely burnt out. We have been able to figure out how to make things work before on our own, but the navigating the, my job being stressful at the same time, Emily's sister was diagnosed with cancer. We had two little girls that really weren't sleeping. We were completely struggling. And my brother and sister-in-law had seen a couple's therapist and they were like, it actually helped us. They were like, this is good. So we got a referral and we started going to couples therapy. We went, we learned a lot of things about ourselves and how we communicate with one another. But then halfway through a session in the spring, my ther- the therapist that we were going to said, Tyler, I think that you would really benefit from individual therapy. Oh, it's all his fault. <laughs> and I was like, You're like, yes. I was like, how am I supposed to take this? But she was right. And so I've been going all so school year. Almost one year together. And then the past year he's been going alone. Okay. And so that struggle, I don't yet know how to fully share with people because sometimes what I want to say is tidy dad sees a therapist mm-hmm. and it's okay. Like we made it work in our schedule so that I can have a 45 minute session every Monday. And how has that been with your relationship? Because one thing is him like being a dad with the girls, but another thing is like you seeing like his progression. How do you think it has affected you, your relationship with him? I do think that it has helped. I think that he's able to recognize the emotions and feelings that he's having and name them and say, I felt this way before and this feeling will pass and I know what to do with it and we can communicate about it much easier instead of just falling into the same spiral that we had had for years. Mm-hmm. We have a lot more strategies and tools about how to talk to each other. And I think that's the, been the biggest thing that we still argue with. One, and, and it's funny because I once heard that couples who don't argue or fight with one another, that's actually, there's actually a problem with that because there is something to arguing and fighting that shows that both of you care about one another. And I know that that sounds weird, but like at the heart of, as we learned through couples therapy, at the heart of an argument is not figuring out who is right, but seeking to understand what the other person is thinking and feeling and walking away with an understanding of why they're thinking about a particular issue in that way. And so now we look at arguments and fights as an opportunity to get to know one another more. And it was funny because that's what our therapist said was like, we're like, but we spent two hours fighting when we could have done something else. And she was like, but think about what you now know about one another based on that two hour sort of like fight or disagreement. So that was an interesting perspective that only through therapy 
were we able to to learn? So therapy has been doing really good for. So now it's just him doing it, right? It's just him. That's all. Sweet. Okay, that's great. How long do you plan to do it? It's funny because I have now asked twice if my therapist thinks that I'm almost finished. <laughs> and so she's like, this idea of being finished is very relative. But what I've heard from people is that you sort of come to a natural sort of end point. You know, like whether it be you feel like you've sort of like closed out an arc or you feel like you're just ready to take a break for a little bit. But I look forward to going every single week. (laughs) You know, and as I've been balancing sort of like family and marriage and work and tidy dad stuff, it has been very helpful to have someone to just process things with and try to figure out, you know, how I can think about certain things or articulate my feelings. But for instance, like last week, my whole session was about Mabel's nursery school graduation, which was on Friday. Yeah, so and I was like, I was like, I don't like, am I just alone in my feelings, but I could literally just cry. And I did. I cried through most of the session. And I was like, I feel such deep feelings about her. And it's not that I'm wishing that she would be a different age or like, I'm not saying I wish she would be a baby again. I love the age that she is, but there are things when I tangibly see that time has passed, that's really hard for me. And like the end of the school year is the closing out of this year. And I know that she's now older and that's really hard for me. And you know, we were able to explore where that comes from for me and what those feelings were. But Suzanne's, my therapist's basic advice was just feel the feeling, like allow yourself to have those feelings and don't feel like bad about having them. Just let them come. And I was like, oh. A professional tells you, because I'm sure you tell her, it's okay, you know, you can cry (laughs) or you can be angry, it's fine, it'll pass, but it's something as when someone else tells you. Yeah, but I did read this article that was about how women actually bear a considerable emotional weight because men are not emotionally connected with themselves or with other men. And that basically that women in a man's life a woman in a man's life has to play this role of like career counselor, encourager, cheerleader, best friend, and wear all of these hats. And a man expects the woman to wear all of these hats because they don't have close relationships with men where they can share and be vulnerable with their feelings and with their thoughts. And I have found that to be true, that at the playground, I don't go up to other men and naturally just say, Mabel's nursery school graduation is next week. I'm really having a hard time with it. Like I really could cry. Like it's really hard for me to see her get older, but yet I love that she's getting, I I don't go up to other dads and do that. Moms, I think are able to connect with one another much more quickly. And so when I read that article, I was like, okay, I hope that by going through therapy myself, I'm helping to lift some of this burden from Emily to like, emotionally manage me which she still does from time to time or a lot of the time but i'm at least better able to recognize what i'm feeling and name it and then think about what strategy can i use to support myself as i'm sort of feeling that feeling 
That's very good. Now going into a little lighter subject and more practical. What is like, you guys are, you have two kids, so you learn some things along the way, right? So now that you have a better routine with everything that you've been learning with tidying and, you know, coming down to this breaking point and then trying to say like prioritizing even more. So how is your routine right now on a, like on the work day schedule? So right now we all get up early in the morning and have breakfast together. And then Tyler leaves for work and I get the girls ready. Mabel goes to nursery school, but Matilda stays home with me. So we drop her off, pick her up. And then I have both girls in the afternoon. And when Tyler gets home from school in the late afternoon, then I go and work in the oh, evening okay. and I get home at bedtime. So, we so trade because off of this balance, we both have one-on-one time with them. But what, what we've done is we have both, and we do this quite often, which is we sit down and we talk about how the routines within our home are going for one another. And we've gotten into a, a pretty regular pattern of talking through what's working and what's not. And so for example, we just revamped our laundry routine. I used to do it on the weekends on Sundays. When I would do it on Sundays, it was always a really big load. And oftentimes it made Sunday morning really stressful because we were trying to not only do the laundry, but get the girls out the door so we could all go to church. And we were like, what could we do? And when we stepped back and we thought about, well, could we do laundry during the week? We were like, okay, let's see. Could we do this? We realized that just with me leaving, with Emily then taking Mabel to school and coming back in, we were forced every single day for us to go in and out of the apartment multiple times. So we thought, what could we do with laundry to like use what's already naturally happening, which is us going in and out of the apartment all the time, and make this work for our laundry routine? So I now leave a little before seven. And I walk the laundry and drop it off at the laundromat. I put it in the washer. It washes when it's ready to go to the dryer. It's the exact same time that Emily needs to walk out to take Mabel to school. So Emily walks Mabel and the girls over, puts the laundry in the dryer. She then leaves it and walks Mabel to school. By the time the drop-off routine has finished, Emily's able to walk back, pick up the laundry, and bring bring it up into our apartment. And laundry is done. Instead of doing it on Sundays, we now do it twice a week. But we were able to take basically a pattern that was already happening every single day. But think about what could we do from a like household routine or chore standpoint to maximize this sort of like natural occurrence of events that already is happening. That's so that, okay. is, that is one and we've done it with multiple things. Like Mabel School is right next to the mm-hmm. grocery store. So if it's a day we're not doing laundry, when I drop her off, Matilda and I then go to the grocery and then come home so that it's just part of that normal walk. And then I'll prep the food while she's at school and then Tyler will just have to cook it sometimes right, right before I get home from takes work. So long. Right. If all the Yeah, if all the prepped. vegetables are <laughs> chopped and the meat is marinated and yeah. the the grain is <laughs> cooked, then he just kind of combines it and heats it and we can eat right as I'm walking in from work. That's very good. Do you guys have a certain um, philosophy about like food-wise? Because they, they seem to eat pretty good, even with the sugar-free yeah. challenge. Like, yeah. Good. yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
One of the things that has transformed our cooking is we use this meal program called Cook Smarts. Okay. So we we've been using it for about two years now. It's not a meal kit, so it's not something that's delivered to our house. But what is delivered to us every Thursday is a list of meals for the following week. And so essentially, we no longer meal plan. We don't have to think about what we're going to cook each night for dinner because Cook Smarts does it for us. We're then able to select the meals we want for that week. It then generates this grocery list. We click off all the so ingredients that we already have. We get it by email. Oh, okay, we we click off everything that we have in our house. Then Emily will go and grocery shop on the alternating days when we're not doing laundry and pick up the supplies or the ingredients. It breaks down how to meal prep, how to meal prep if you want to do it on the weekend or how to meal prep during the week. But the takeaway from that was that we we are incredibly frugal and we don't like to throw money at problems. But there are times when you can throw a very small amount of money at a problem and transform that like routine for your life. So for example, Cook Smarts, I think it comes down to between six and eight dollars a month. Okay. Which comes down to like two dollars a week. Which means that for two dollars a week, we no longer have to spend time meal planning, and that so two dollars is yeah. well worth. And when it. we have a plan, that means we don't get to a night that we're just like, oh, we'll order takeout. Mm-hmm. That would have cost way more than the meal That's plan. We have healthy yes. food like ready in the fridge. Yes, and we're no longer bored. We used to have a rotation, so we had like a taco night, a spaghetti night, right? <laughs> a like chicken dish night, right? It was so predictable. <laughs> yes, and we just rotated. So that's what Cook Smarts has allowed us to do. But again, the, the major takeaway for us with Cook Smarts that we've transitioned to other aspects of our life is are there ways in which you can sort of tighten a routine or transform a routine so that you're able to focus more on what you enjoy doing as opposed to what you don't enjoy doing? So, for example, we love cooking. So you both? Yes, yeah, so we, we like, don't like, we like meal to planning. have time to cook with the kids and okay. do it slower and let them use their, their little kid knives yeah. and get involved with it. They love it. But if we're spending so much time planning and prepping and grocery shopping, then by the time we're cooking, it's rushed You're and so it's not fun. And the same is true for cleaning. I love cleaning. Cleaning has always been like a therapeutic thing to do on mm-hmm. a Saturday because there's nothing like working all week, waking up on Saturday, getting everything clean and having that like smell in the house and just knowing. Now, that was great before we had kids, but I can't spend like two hours cleaning all day on a, all morning on a Saturday. Right. So we came up stuff. with this 20 to 30 minute weekday cleaning routine. So that's what I get up and do in the mornings is I clean one room of our house deeply every morning. So I do the bathroom one day, the kitchen another day, the living room another day, the bedrooms another so day. And then the routine mis- for that. Yes. Right. And that so was Emily the messy one in the relationship? It's funny because this <laughs> is. Because I feel what, like there's always one that is like super like clean and then the yeah, other I one is like, oh, whatever. He, I was the more organized one. He doesn't oh, like okay. to see things. So he would just. Put everything Clean in the cabinet with the door. Stuff. 
Okay, that's me. And then it's like, oh, it looks clean. And I'm like, the reason I left it out was so that I would have time to put it exactly where I wanted it and not just stuff it in a closet. So it's like perfect. But since he loves the actual cleaning process and seeing, oh, this floor is messy and now I vacuumed it and now it's clean, he enjoys that. To me, that was just a chore. Right. So that's really good. He took over that. And so we have, we talk through how do we balance it. And it's funny because. There are roles that we would say are traditionally more male uh-huh. focused that Emily does. Emily is great at our finances, looking at our credit cards, looking at our checkbooks. That's good. She <laughs> is great at so that. So I'll sit down at the computer while he cleans the kitchen yes. and then we're finished at the yes. And that works. And that know? works for us. And so it's thinking about how do we play into our natural strengths? Uh-huh. Because the reality is, is that as parents, you don't have time to like, fight and negotiate over who's going to do what you just have to do it. Right. But we do step back every so often and say like, how's this working for us? How's this routine going? One of the crazy things that we did was we have a hook over there with bags and the girls coats, making the decision to lower that coat rack to a height that the girls can actually reach was transformational. We used to have everything hanging on the door. But that meant that the girls could not grab their coats or their bags as they were heading out the door. And so we've been able to train them. They are four and two. But now when we say it's time to go grab your coat or grab your bag, they can walk over. It's on a hook that they can reach and they can take it down. It's so much easier. So there are little things. We have a drawer in the kitchen that they can reach. They can get their cups. They can get their snack bowls. You know, and they're able to somewhat serve themselves. The scary part is just when they take the chair, pull it into the kitchen, and then climb <laughs> up to get into the snack cabinet. All the chocolate pretzels. All the chocolate pretzels. <laughs> but we're trying to teach them these routines also yeah. so that they understand how a household runs. runs. Yeah. That goes back to our background in education because Emily works with children and with their parents all the time on routines of daily living, which is what occupational therapy is, which is like tying your shoes, zipping and unzipping your coat, how to pack things, how to organize things within your backpack. I have a classroom with 32 students. I have to manage that the students transitioning in, the students transitioning out, what they do with their stuff within the classroom, how they get pencils, how they get paper, where their notebooks go. So I think from this routine's perspective all the time, and just like how we run our classroom, the reality is is that our homes have routines too. But the key is does everyone in the house know and understand and are able to execute that routine? Because if not, that's when people get really frustrated, which is like, why do you never put away your socks? Why are your clothes always on the floor? Why can you never find your sunglasses? It creates so much more unintentional drama. And like, yes. And sometimes you feel resentful. And then the other oh, person has no sure. idea. <laughs> for sure. Yes. And we used to do that all the time where I was like, why don't you do this, 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 and this? And Emily's like, well, why don't you do this, this, and that? And I'm like, oh, it's because we've actually never talked about it. Right. Or like thought through how it should be done. And what bothers me. Yes, or what bothers you. So um, for my last question, 
this is something about parenting in Queens. So now you guys have lit, we're raised in another state. How do you see how different it is to parent in Queens in this particular borough and advantages, disadvantages? I love this borough. I love Astoria Park and the playground that's a block away, the library that's a few blocks away, and being able to walk to fun activities with the girls, but also the access to Manhattan and being able to go to Central Park and museums. We do live in a small apartment, so we spend a lot of time outside or exploring the city. We really love raising kids here. What I would also say about living in Queens is that there is a diversity that's just palpable every time you walk on the sidewalk. So experiencing people that look different from you or families that have a completely different structure or different languages being spoken and the access to the different cultures that we're forced to have conversations with our girls. We've, we've had them from a very small age about how people are different and how that's okay. And there's just a, di a diversity that if we lived anywhere else really in the country, we just wouldn't have access to. The other things I would say is that I feel like living in Queens and really just living in the city in general, we're forced not to be super selfish because there are always others around you. So when it comes to like the girls tantruming or wanting something then and now, even like wanting to get on a swing and there only being six swings at the park right. and learning how to wait. Like it's fascinating to see the little kids have developed a system for standing in between the two poles that hold up the swing. And you know that if a kid's standing there, that means that they want to get on the swing next. No one told them that this was the park rule, but they somehow like communicated this to one another in a way that it's like a norm for the four-year-olds on the playground. And so I feel like Kids are forced not to be selfish and parents are forced not to be selfish in the same way that you would be in another area of the country, simply because we are one part of this larger Queens community with millions of people who all want the same thing, really, which is to have this like joyful little life and existence in this city. And so it's really thinking about how do we all like support one another. So I feel like there, as Emily said, there's so many wonderful things about living in Queens and we've definitely adopted the Queens by choice sort of mantra. What does it mean? So for far too long, people <laughs> have thought that Queens is the borough that no one wants to live in. Yeah. So you have Manhattan, which everyone wants to live in. You then have Brooklyn, which is the hippest, coolest borough in New York City. You then have the Bronx, which people are very like loyal to. And there are communities of people who fully embrace that borough. And then you have Staten Island, which is just sort of there. <laughs> You're then left with Queens. And for far too long, people have chosen to live in Queens because it is cheaper. Yeah, but that's true. I feel like I am here to say we live in Queens by choice. Yes, it is a little bit cheaper. But two, there are so many wonderful things about Queens, that it has its own sort of unique identity. And we definitely live in Queens by choice. By choice. That's great. Yeah. And we leave it with that and the positive note. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much for having me. Yeah, no thanks. Thank you.